Praise the Lord. It's good to be back in the Lord's house. Amen. And uh, praise the Lord for what he's been doing. Yes, sir. Uh, I was coming Monday and Tuesday, <laughs> but your pastor said no. Yeah. So, so there you are. And then you got a preacher come in here talking about Dodge trucks and everything else. So I don't know. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so I told him, I said, well, since you've got Brother Joe coming, I said, I'm, because I already had that meeting Monday and Tuesday scheduled uh, for quite some time, a 27-year anniversary revival. And I was preaching Monday and Tuesday night of it. And, uh, and so I called that preacher and told him what was going on down here. And he said, sounds to me like you need to stay where you're at. So at least two of us had leadership. Anyway, if we could have got the third one on board, ain't no telling what would happen. Say amen right there, brother. Amen. I'm for you. I'm in his corner. Amen. As long as he takes me to Keaton's Chicken, we're good. Amen. All right. Let's open our Bibles tonight to uh, a couple of passages of Scripture. Uh, let's turn to Matthew 21 and John chapter 2. Give you just a moment there to find your place. John chapter number 2, and then Matthew 21. We'll start in, in John 2, and we'll go to uh, Matthew 21, Lord willing, uh, for the message tonight. Are you ready for me to read the scripture? Amen. All right. Uh, John chapter 2, we started in this, uh, what was that, last Friday? Last Friday, and, uh, and I really... You know, I, I've, that just amazed me how we got hung up in John 2. I, I still been trying to study on that and figure out how that happened. I'm not sure how that happened. Uh, but evidently there was a few things the Lord wanted to, uh, to really emphasize. So I never did really get to Matthew 21 uh, where really the message is that I wanted to go. John 2 is basically just an introductory thought. Uh, to get us uh, to John, uh, Matthew 21. And so I knew on Friday that I'd be preaching the rest of that on, uh, on Monday if somebody would have gotten leadership on that. So, so we're, we're having to pray now that the Lord will postpone what he intended to do Monday on to, uh, on to Wednesday. How's that? Is that all right? <laughs> He's turning red, isn't he? Amen. Amen. I, I tell you, I've never, I, I don't reckon I ever met your pastor until I walked in the first night of the revival meeting. And I don't know how I missed that because I know a lot of the same preachers he does and he knows a lot of the same preachers uh, that I do. And he said he's even heard me preach, uh, uh, I guess, two or three times or something, I think he said. And uh, evidently he didn't come up and speak to me because I've never... <laughs> Do what? The line was too long, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be my story too, amen. <laughs> but anyway, it's uh, an honor. I tell you, I've got a new friend uh, in this walk and in this journey, and I've got, I got to meet some more of God's big family. Can you imagine? No, you can't. I can't. There's no way we can imagine what it's going to be like when all of the big family of God 
gets to the big house on high. No flesh and no devil and no world, no hindrances. And that we'll be able to give him perfect praise. And we'll be able to not see him through a glass darkly or even by faith. But we will see him as he is. And you will have to have a glorified body to stand it. Amen. What a day that will be when Jesus I shall see. Amen. And don't miss, on, don't miss out on that. Because if you miss heaven, you will not miss hell. Did you hear that statement? Nobody accidentally goes to heaven. Nobody. I may have said this uh, already in this meeting. I don't know. I know I said it in the other meeting uh, that, you know, nobody accidentally will get to heaven and nobody's going to arrive in heaven and say, wow, how did this happen? Nobody's going to be surprised. Now, there are going to be people surprised when they go to hell. There are going to be people think, well, how did this happen? I thought I was a good person. They was majoring on things that wasn't scriptural, that wasn't a part of the plan of salvation. They were, they were majoring on commendable things, but not acceptable things. That's why Jesus, it's only through Jesus that we've been made accepted in the beloved. John chapter 2, verse number 1. Well, no, not verse number 1. That's a whole other message. We don't want to get on that tonight. Uh, verse 13, and, and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge, of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured uh, out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. Didn't look like there he was afraid of offending nobody. When he's defending his holiness, he don't care who gets offended. Did y'all hear that? I never made that statement before in my life. It just come out just now. When he's defending, and that's what he was doing in the text, he was taking up for the God's house and defending it against corruption and wickedness and disgrace and desecration. He was defending it, and you and I ought to be defending it. Amen. We ought to be taking up for God's house as long as it's going in God's direction. And, and so I don't want to get on, if I don't watch it, I'll be hung up in here again. The word of God's alive. Every time you read it, it ought to speak to you. I mean, a verse that I've read and read and read and read it and be standing in the pulpit reading it and see something else. And, and why, why didn't I see that before? It's because this is not a catalog. This is not a novel. This is not something that man wrote. This is the the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is God's word. This the Bible says it's quick. That is, it's alive. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen. 
Thank God for the word of the Lord. And I believe it's God's will that every time you read it, that it reads you. That's why a lot of people don't want to read it. Read a lot of churches has went away from it. Because the word of God, when it's read and preached, it'll, it'll, it'll lay people open, amen. It'll, it'll divide, the, uh, amen, the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and of the intents of the heart. Yeah, the word of God will cut going and coming. That's why it has two edges, two, two sides. It cuts going and coming, amen. And it's very effective, against the flesh. It's very effective against the devil. Amen. Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus could have just snapped his finger, thought of, said, you know, to defeated the devil in the wilderness. He could have done that. But that, that would have been a pattern that we couldn't follow. He could have used his deity and whipped the devil, but we couldn't have done it. He could have, amen. So what did he do? He used the word of God. He quoted, thus saith the Lord. You know why? When we would not have Jesus' bodily presence, we would have his, his Bible in print. And the word of God, the living word, quoted the written word to deal with the devil, and it worked. Setting a pattern for you and I to do likewise. Amen. It's good. It's good preaching, preacher. Amen. Praise the Lord. You won't ever overemphasize the value and importance of God's word. You'll never exaggerate it. When you exaggerate something, you went too big with it. You started adding stuff that's not so just to make it look bigger. You can't, you can't exaggerate salvation. You can't exa exaggerate the Bible and the Spirit of God. And, and the wonderful thing about being saved is the forgiveness of sin. Amen. What a Savior. What a salvation. Amen. And what a future we have. Oh, my goodness. Help us, Lord. We're going to have to do better than this if we're going to get in Matthew 21. I can see that. And uh, I don't even know where we got to. Oh, verse number 15, where he was turning over all the tables and, and, and driving out the oxen and, the, and, and all of that. Hey, I'm gonna tell you, that wasn't a small task. Them tables, if I'm not mistaken, them tables weighed about 450 pounds. And he's throwing them around like rag dolls. And the seats, the seats had men sitting on them. And it wasn't Jesus and another group of men, muscle men. No, Jesus just took care of business himself. Oh, that's good. Well, maybe we can get to that detail later. In verse 16, and he said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence. And make not, that's the two words from the other week that I wanted you to underline. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, what sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? And of course, he's, he's 
brought up the fact that the temple wasn't just the structure, but it was his body. Both. Are y'all listening? Both. It applies to both. We can refer to the house of God as, a, as the temple. This is where we go. It's the structure. It's where we go and meet. It's where the assembly takes place. But also in the scripture, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple in three days. I will rise, uh, raise it up. He referred to it in verse 21. He spake of the temple of his body. Amen. But now let's turn to Matthew 21 real quick. Matthew chapter 21. And I know that when I read Matthew 21 that it's going to appear to be the, the same context as John 2. But it's not. It's not. And that's what's going to be the basis of the message uh, tonight. Let's start in verse 1. And when they drew nigh into Jerusalem... And were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, they sent Jesus, uh, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into, such, into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. Well, I'm glad the Lord has need. I've heard people say, I've heard people uh, unscripturally say, I've heard preachers say unscripturally that the Lord don't need us. Now, I know that might make for good preaching, sound bold, big, and bad, but there ain't a lick of truth in that. He's the head. And you and I are the body. And the head is where all of the knowledge and the leadership is at. But my friend, the will of the head is carried out through the cooperation of the members of the body. And that's us. I've heard preachers say it. Jesus don't need, he don't need me. And that's not, a, that's not a prideful, arrogant statement. To, amen. It's, the, it's just reality that Jesus depends on his church to get his job done, to get his will done on earth. Amen. And so we find in this text that, uh, well, let's start. Let's just pick up and finish reading here. In verse number uh, where do we get to? Verse 4. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled that was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee meek and sitteth upon an ass and a colt that uh, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as, the, as Jesus commanded them. What would happen today if everybody did as Jesus commanded us? You know what would happen? Right here it is in the text. Scripture will be fulfilled. That's a good reason to be obedient, isn't it? Honor the one that gives the command. Honor him. But also 
the, the purpose for which he gave the command is to fulfill the, the scriptures. Amen. What this Bible says can be fulfilled in your life practically. Right. Amen. Yes. Verse number seven, and they brought the, the ass and the cold and put on them their clothes. Verse number seven, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way Others cut down branches from the trees and strewed them uh, in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Now, if they'd have known their Bible and, and side with the Bible instead of traditions of men, they would have known who that was as he was fulfilling Zechariah chapter number nine. He fulfilled the scriptures, amen. But they said, who is this? Because they had been listening to liberal preaching. They'd been listening to preaching that, that people weren't preaching, they weren't preaching the Bible. Right, right. Amen. Amen. And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And watch, look what happens in verse 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. You remember what John 2 said? Don't turn back there. Just listen. You remember what Jesus did after he turned over the tables and cleansed the temple and run all that crowd out? You remember what he's saying? Ye have made. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Make not. But here he said, but you have made it. The difference between John 2 and Matthew 21 is that John 2 is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Approximately 30 years old. Matthew 21 is his triumphal entry into Jerusalem at the ending of his ministry. As he's entering in to the final week of his life, he's told them three years earlier, don't make it. Don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. Three short years later, Jesus arrives fulfilling prophecy, fulfilling Daniel's prophecy as well. He rode into Jerusalem on the exact day. Not in generality, but the exact day that fulfilled 400 and 83 years from Daniel's prophecy. That's pretty accurate, don't you think? You, don't, don't, you can't write that off as, well, that was just happenstance. That was just coincidence. No, why don't you try something better? Well, that was providence. 483 years to the day 
that Daniel said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem. That Jesus would enter into Jerusalem and he rode in on the exact day 483 years. You say, what's significant about that? Daniel had the 70 weeks, the, the prophecy 70 weeks. 69 weeks was fulfilled when Jesus Christ rode into town. That leaves one more week and we could, that could happen at any time. That's a seven year, that's a, that's a week of seven years, just like the other 483 years. Well, 69 times seven. Well, I'm not here to deal with all that. But, but he told them in Matthew 2, make not my father's house. Now that, was, that wasn't a suggestion. When he said make not, that was easily understood. Don't do it. Don't do it. But then three years, Jesus comes into town fulfilling his scripture, coming in on his triumphal entry and he finds that the temple is right back in the condition it was in three years earlier. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus was upset in Matthew, or excuse me, John two, when he came and found the corruption in the temple and the and the and all that was going on in the temple. He was highly uh, indignant. He was righteously indignant. Amen. He had some wrath about him. He had. He was upset. I wonder if we're upset about the condition churches are in today. I wonder if we're upset about the condition that we personally as the temple of God get in sometimes. And then Jesus, and now I'm gonna tell you, there ain't no doubt about this, this is good. When Jesus was cleansing the temple in John 2 at the beginning of his ministry, and he only had about a three year, three and a half year ministry. He started when he was 30 and we, he, he was crucified somewhere close to 33 years old, 33 and a half years old. Are you listening? And so, listen, Jesus was cleansing the temple without a doubt, not only because of its present condition, he wanted it clean now, but he was thinking ahead three years. I'm going to need, listen, I'm going to need this temple to be holy. I'm going to need this temple to be clean. Three years ahead, he's doing a work now, but he's thinking three years ahead. Could he be thinking way ahead in this meeting? Could he, oh my, could he be trying to do a work now, but he's thinking about a future generation. He's thinking about others in the days and years to come. He's wanting to send revival now. Maybe he's thinking about some grandchildren that are not even born yet. He's thinking about families that have not even been, that, that's not even married and put together yet. They're just children. Jesus never moved only thinking about the present. Jesus never moved thinking only about the temporal and the temporary. 
He never moved just for the moment. He's, amen. Oh my, uh, listen church, if we can get a hold of that, that right there ought to impact us the rest of our life. It ought to have an influence on us the rest of our life that God is wanting to work in me and on me and through me now uh, because of future plans, future desires. Oh, my mind, what little bit's up there, it's running wide open. If that's the case, brother, right now looking forward, could it be that we are the future of some of those behind us? That God tried to work in them. Oh, my goodness. That God tried to do something in them and in their churches then so that God would be moving mightily even in our day when we showed up on the scene. That's deep right there. That's some deep stuff right there. I've never seen that aspect of it before. You know why a lot of churches today is dead? It's four o'clock in the morning. It might be because some of the recent generations dropped the ball. The reason that we're seeing the church today being so seemingly ineffective in a world of absolute wickedness, amen. The church that's supposed to be the light of the world it seems to be having very little influence on this wicked world of darkness. Could it be that some of those before us, some parents before us, some grandparents before us, some preachers before us? Could it be, oh my goodness, could it be that even back then God tried to send revival? God began to work, but then people started saying no. Preachers started saying no because it's inconvenient to have revival. You go to church for two weeks, amen, that becomes taxing on the flesh. That becomes weariness to the flesh. And some back there, amen, may have said no to a move of the Holy Ghost. Preacher, we can't correct that if that happened. And no doubt it's happened. There's no doubt in my mind that's happened. Amen. We can't go back and correct that, but I tell you what we can do. We can say we're, we're on the scene now and we have a will and we're saved, amen, and we can make good decisions and hey, God is moving in Currytown Baptist Church, amen, by his marvelous grace, amen. Oh, and we're gonna do something with it. Why? Because we've got children that needs it. We've got grandchildren that needs it and great-grandchildren that's gonna need it and great-great-great-grand that's gonna need it even after we're off the scene and gone. We need to make sure that we've introduced them to the power of God. Amen. Boy, that's some, I'm telling you, that is good stuff right there now. That is a feeding my soul and convicting me at the same. Amen. 
I mean, seriously, you can't hardly find a preacher that's even interested in revival. Amen. Sad. I mean, sad. They're content with, with getting their little two points in a poem and getting in the pulpit and giving their little talk and their little dried up speech. Amen. They don't care if it feeds nobody. They don't care if nobody goes to the altar as long as they get their little paycheck. And amen. And they got their little position. I want to tell you, surely it needs to be bigger than that. It needs to be bigger than that. We are the present. We are in the present tense with God right now. What God is doing now He's got tomorrow in mind. He's got other people in mind. Oh, oh, God never moves on you only thinking about you. When God is dealing with you, he's always got other people in mind that he wants to use your life to deal with. Man, that's, oh my goodness. That's a, that's awesome, ain't it? Oh my. Boy, amen. It's not that what's going on or the lack of it. It's not because of God. It was because God had done a work in some people's lives, let's just say three years ago to be in line with the text. God done a work with some uh, in a revival three years ago. Oh my. And, and, and instead of feeding that fire and keeping it going, you've let it die out in you. And here you are three years later and you're in the same, same shape, same condition as you was in three years ago. And so we find here Jesus is coming in, fulfilling scripture and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. On the cold of an ass, are y'all listening? Oh, what a, what a great day of honor and glory that should have been for the Savior. And it started out that way as they were Hosanna to the son of David and they was praising him. But when he went in the temple, which was a part of the prophecy, he had to take time to do what was supposed to have been completed three years earlier. And he told them, don't do it. And he come in three years later on his big day. And he said, you have made it a den of thieves. I told you not to. I cleansed it. I showed you in action what I thought about wickedness in God's house. And he said, here you've allowed it to come back in. I want to tell you, your salvation don't need maintenance, but your spirituality does. When God does a work in your life, amen, you don't have to work on being saved, staying saved and getting more saved and all that kind of stuff. We know we're saved by the good grace of God. We're saved by his works, amen, that he did in our behalf. We're saved by his death, his burial, his resurrection, amen. My salvation don't need my, my fingerprints. Oh no, I'd mess it up. Let me just say this to all of you right here. 
If you could lose your salvation, you would have already lost it. That bunch that preaches falling from grace, that's, that's, his, that's the most prideful doctrine that you could ever preach. Who, who would even lay claim to saying, well, I'm, I've, I, hey, I've been saved for, and, and believe that doctrine. I've been saved for 43 years. That's a prideful statement. That meant, you, that meant you have been whatever you think you need to be for 43 years. But don't ever forget. This is just going to be a little rackly insert right here. Don't ever forget that the first sin that caused Adam and Eve to be lost wasn't murder, it wasn't fornication, it wasn't drunkenness, it was just one act of disobedience to one commandment. If that made them lost initially, then what's the hope of you keeping it? You can't keep it, amen. God never intended for it to be in your hands, amen. I'll tell you, but when he does a work on top of it, here's the way I word it. I'm, I'm saved by grace, but I'm not spiritual by grace. I'm not saved by works, but my works has something to do with me being spiritual. As I obey the word of God, Amen. I believe a lot of people misapplies the grace of God even after salvation. They get saved and they sit on the stool of do nothing. They sit on the stool of be nothing. And they just, well, okay, hey man, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Well, what are you doing? Nothing. I'm just preaching. I don't know who that's for. Amen. Jesus said, don't make it. Don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then three years later, he come into town and he said, oh my goodness, you have made it a den of thieves. I just want to share a thought with you tonight on what are you making your church? What are you making your church? The word make not and the word made it in both of those passages are the same Greek word which means you caused it. You executed it, you performed it, you provided it, you produced it, you constructed it, you formed it, you fashioned it. Instead of the temple having the fingerprints of Jesus all over it, when he cleansed it, now it's got the fingerprints of man. He's got the fingerprints of people on it. What are you making your church? That's a good question tonight. What are you making your church? Amen. Let me give you just a few things to just, just to kind of get your mind going on that thought right there. The first thing that I, I saw just by way of just getting our minds together on this, this same thought is that the church is not making itself. Now Jesus said upon this rock, I'll build my church. He is building his church universally. He is building his church globally. But you and I are building his church locally. 
Amen. The church is not building itself. It's a hands-on ministry. You are involved either as a pro or a con. You are involved of either a yes or a no. You're either helping the church or you're hurting the church. Jesus said you're for me or you're against me. There's no middle ground. So with that in mind, I want to ask you tonight, which is it with you? Are you helping your church to be what God wants it to be? The design that he laid out in the scripture, even in this text? Or are you working against that? Amen. The church is not making itself. Man, I I could preach on that. Number two, quickly, is that uh, this, 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 this church, this temple, if you will, still had the right identity. It was still called the Father's house. It was still called the temple, even though inside of it was corrupt. People drive by the road out there. They say, well, there's a church. There's Currytown Baptist Church right there. They're still calling it a church, but is it lining up with the scriptures of what God says it ought to be? Amen. It still had the identity. Boy, we could preach on that, Lord, help us. Number three, nobody's neutral. Nobody's neutral. Well, I go there, but I'm not involved. Oh, yes, you are. You don't know you are. You, you're involved either helping, helping the church to be what it's supposed to be or you're helping the enemy to make the church to be what it is not supposed to be. You say, what is it not supposed to be? It's not supposed to be dead. It's not supposed to be defiled. It's not supposed to be inactive. It's, amen. And the list could go on and on tonight. Oh yeah, nobody's neutral, friend. Nobody. Your carnality is a vote against the spirituality of this church. Amen. What are you contributing to your church? I know that's an elementary question, but I'm telling you, you'd be shocked how many people in the church, uh, churches, plural, that, that, feel, that don't even think about that. Well, that's a preacher's job. Well, that's the deacon's job. Or that's the men with the burgundy coats around here job. No, if you come here and you're S-A-V-E-D, you are contributing. You, are, you should be contributing to the spiritual atmosphere of the church, the spiritual illumination of the church, the, amen, the spiritual influence of the church, the spiritual representation of the church. We had, a, we had a family, they're not even members, but they, they've been coming to our church for a, a good long while, a good long time. The doctor got two daughters that are members of our church. And they were on a cruise somewhere, out there on the big pond somewhere. And I'm talking about representing, representing your church well. Conduct yourself in action and uh, talk and looks in every way uh, that will cast a good light on your man of God. 
Well, ultimately before that, uh, cast a good light on your Savior. Make him look good. Make him look good. Don't ever live or talk or act and behave in such a way that people hear or sees it and says, wow, they claim to be saved. And then they've got a, a, a negative thought about the Savior. They, amen. And some have even said this, if that's salvation, I don't want no part of it. And I've had them to tell me that. I've had young people to tell me that. They come to church and they see mom and dad raise their hand and nod their head and other religious things in the house of God. But at the house, hey, I'm going to tell you, it ain't hard to fool the preacher. Amen. You can be a heathen at the house and the preacher won't know it. He goes off what he sees when you're here. Smiling, nod your head, raise your hand, amen, singing in the choir. But your children are not fooled. You are not fooling your children. They know if you're a put on. They know, my friend, if you're pathetic. They know if you talk one way at church and then you use language at the house that is not pleasing to God. You don't think you hurting anybody. I'll tell you what, you're destroying the confidence of your children to think that there's any reality to salvation. Amen. I promise that needs to be preached. Everywhere I go. But anyway, nobody's neutral. Nobody's neutral. And the, listen, the people that was inside the temple had made the temple to match what they were. I want to ask you, are you, trying to, are you trying to line up with what the church is according to the Bible or are you trying to make the church line up with you? I've lost people over the past 31 years at RBT. I've lost them, my friend, and you know what the basic summary of it is? They're wanting to change our church and pull our church down to their level, and I refuse to do that. I refuse to cater uh, to those that wants to turn our church into a community center and turn our church into a hoorah station. I refuse. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. I, I wish they would stay. I wish they'd get right. But they're, they're not wanting to change. They're not wanting to move up to God's plumb line. Hey, to, they're not wanting to line up with God's plumb line. They're wanting to just make their own assessment of what's level and what's right. They want me to change. They want me to quit preaching on sin. They want me to, to tone it down. They want me to dry up on the like on the stalk. Amen. I refuse to do that. If you want it dead, go to the funeral home. This is a sanctuary, not a mortuary. We're celebrating life here. Hallelujah. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to get off that. My goodness. Woo, I felt the bulldog scratching at the gate. 
back to those that, those that come to our church, they was on a cruise and somebody come up to them out of the blue and said, y'all go to church? Yeah, we go to church. She, they said, well, we know you go to church. We can tell that you go to church by how you're dressed on a cruise. They said, but we're interested of where you go to church. And they said, we go to RBT. We go to Rogersville Baptist Temple. Who's your pastor? Barry Rackley. Oh, we know him. We listen to him online all the time. Isn't that amazing? I'm talking about, listen, if you're contributing to your church, amen, you ought to, amen, you ought to be a good testimony when everybody's looking. You ought to be a good testimony when nobody's looking. You ought to be good, amen. Everybody ought to be able to watch your life and listen to you talk and look how you behave and how you respond when you have a, a, a situation at work and it ought to cast a good light on your pastor. Oh, you you act like that and you go down there, Curry Town, and you go, Brother McDaniels is your pastor and you act like that. You can be real if you want to be. I probably already started something before that. You can be real if you've been saved. Well, May the Lord help us. I got to move on. They made that temple to match what they were. That's right. Yes, they did. They, amen. Yes, sir. Here's something else. Jesus blamed those on the inside for what the temple had become. That's right. he, he wasn't looking at the external crowd. He wasn't looking at them and said, look what you've done. Look what you've done to the temple. No, he looked at that crowd that was on the inside and he said, ye made it a den of thieves. The church is not making itself. Circumstances is not making the church what it is. And we need to quit using circumstances as an excuse. Amen. The church is not defined by the political system that we have in this country. I told our church the other day, I said, I'm not an insurrectionist, but I'm not near as pro-government as a lot of people are. You say, that's not scriptural. Oh, don't even give me that. We're supposed to obey them as long as it's in alignment with the scripture. Men ought to always obey God rather than man. Look at the context of that. They were being called on the carpet and told, don't you preach in the name of Jesus. And they were beating them and everything else. And they told them, so we're not, you can beat us if you want to, but it's not gonna change our mind. We're still gonna obey God rather than man. Amen. And Paul's the one that wrote Romans 13. I thought I'd help you know that. Paul's the one that wrote that about the, the leaders and the rulers and them in authority and all that stuff. And guess what he spent most of his time doing? He was in jail most of the time because he was opposing the religious world as well as the political governmental world. 
I guarantee you a high percentage of most churches, if the government said, give us your Bibles or else, they'd probably hand them over and, and, and wouldn't think twice about it. Amen. Why? Just because the government said so. Amen. Hitler wasn't the friend of the Jews, but he sure appealed it. He sure cast that image. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking of your best interest. I want to, I'm thinking of your best interest. You know, I'm going to, I'm looking ahead. We're going to take care of you. And all these smart cities and stuff that they're conjuring up, I want to tell you, friend, that's a bunch of garbage. I'm about to get in the flesh. No, I ain't. I'm not about to get in the flesh. I'm about to get righteously indignant. Amen. It upsets me to see people cowering down. To No, friend. We Listen, this is a republic. This don't have nothing to do with this message, but I just want to throw this out there. The word democracy is not in none of the founding documents of this country. Not once. This country is a republic. And to the republic for which it stands. Why? What? Dictators don't come from a republic. Dictators rises up when there's a democracy because they can get the headship and take over and do just exactly what we're witnessing right now. Whatever they want to do. You say, preacher, you're getting political now. What's wrong with that? John preached against Herod's sin. Right. Amen. Amen. Yeah, y'all, y'all can't take much of that. I didn't see that. He blamed the ones on the inside. And, and number six, listen to this. Jesus called the temple of God a house. My father's house. But in Matthew 21, he said, you've made it a den of thieves. That word den is used in John 11 referring to the, the, the cave that Lazarus was buried in. A house is a place for a family. House is a place where we, a family lives, amen. But a den, that sounds like something where you get find a bunch of snakes a snake den, a den of snakes or a den of lions. Daniel found them, amen. I want you to write these down. I don't have time to preach them. I could, I could spend a whole other service on it. Look at Matthew 21 right quick. You got your pencil out? Right in this text right here, he shows us four, four or five things that he wants his house to be. And being, of course, a den of thieves wasn't one of them. Right. It being corrupt wasn't one of them. The first, he said, what I want you to make my house, what I want you to make my house first is a house of my presence. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What the Bible said he went, verse 12, you see it in verse Matthew 21, he went into the temple. Yes, what a gracious move. Well, if I'd have been him, I wouldn't have done that. But he had to do that because that was a part of fulfilling the scriptures that was prophesied of him. He said, well, I'm not going in there. They're corrupt. 
Don't go in there. He didn't go in there to condone it. He didn't go in there to join it. He went in there to do something about it. He went in there and preached against it. He went in there and, amen, he took care of business. So making this place, listen, make a pl- this place a place of his presence. Thank God for padded pews and carpet and air conditioning and heat and all the technology and all of that. Thank God for all that. But I want to tell you what, none of that can do what his presence can do. You come in here and you've been beaten and battered with circumstances and, and war, spiritual warfare through the week. I want to tell you what will soothe your soul is the word of God and the songs of Zion and the presence of God. That's what will do a work in visitors. Boy, I wish I could preach on that. I don't have time, maybe another time. Make it a place of his presence. Number two, also found in verse number 12, make it a place of purity. That's illustrated by how Jesus uh, responded to what was going on on the inside. He went inside in verse number 12 and the Bible said he cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Uh, Amen. This was a special day in Jerusalem. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of people there. Are you listening? I, got, I wrote down some of this stuff because I never want to forget it. The tables were made of marble and weighed 400 pounds apiece. The seats of them that sold doves, those seats were heavy and usually were, and were occupied while he turned them over and threw them out. He said, boy, he's a man, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Batman wasn't the first one. Superman wasn't the first one. Amen. Don't you think, don't you believe none of the, 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 the light that Hollywood throws on Jesus making him look like an old long-haired, moppy-headed, limp-wristed, weak, a hippie looking thing. No, friend, I want to tell you, he was very much a man's man. He went in the temple and I guarantee the disciples were nowhere to be found, but he still took care of business. Who's going to fight him? Who in the world is going to fight him? Amen. He, he's showing that he wants his house to be a house that is pure. Boy, there's so much preaching there. Number three, verse number 13, look at it. He said, he, he shows us in verse 13, and it's, and it's been emphasized in this revival, and it, and it ought to be. I've never seen, heard, or read about a revival that excluded prayer ever, ever. When your pastor sent me pictures of y'all praying on Thursday night and Friday night, was no, Friday night and Saturday night, and then some was here early Sunday morning, amen, praying. I said, oh boy, that business is gonna pick up when God's people gets hungry. Amen, you know why we pray? It's because God can only do what we're wanting done. We can't do it, you can't do it, all of us together can't do it, so we're gonna meet and call upon them 
almighty God, the almighty God. We're gonna call on his name so that he can move. But the third thing was that my house will be a house of prayer. Over 200 references to prayer in the New Testament alone. In Acts chapter one, Verse 14, the very first thing said about those that were in the upper room was that they prayed. You want Acts chapter two? Who don't? What church does not want an Acts chapter two? Preach one message and 3,000 people get saved and all of them got baptized and added to the church. Who wouldn't want that? but you'll never have Acts chapter two of power and productivity without an Acts chapter one of praying. They spent 10 days in that upper room praying. We're wanting to pray 10 minutes and see 3,000 saved. We're wanting to preach 3,000 sermons and one get saved. He said, I want my house to be a house of prayer. Amen. Boy, that's so good. Listen to this quote right here. This boy is so good. Pastor Dale Massingale in Kentucky, a dear friend of mine, he made this statement. There is a price to pay for men to pray, but the price to pay is far greater if men do not pray. John Bunyan made this quote about prayer. It's so, so good. I don't ever want to forget it. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can do nothing until you've prayed. You know what the devil is getting the old nervous shakes about Currytown Baptist Church is that you are hearing preaching and responding to it and you're getting stirred up about praying. Amen, you talking about Oh, mercy, God moving, God responding to prayer. God answers prayer. We believe that. God answers prayer. If you want him to move, give him a reason. That makes good sense. You want him to do something, give him a reason. And prayer is a reason. Oh, my. He said, make my house a house of prayer. Next, number four, he said, make my house a house of power. Look at verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. What? There wasn't nobody being healed when it was a corrupt temple. Come on now. So I don't like all that negative preaching stuff. Well, it may be moving us in a direction where we can have power to where lives can be changed. When it was corrupt and full of money changers and, and, and made it a glorified flea market in, inside the temple, nobody was healed. Nobody was healed. No, God done nothing supernatural. When a church is full of the natural man and what we can do, very little, if any, supernatural things will be accomplished. But oh, if we will get his presence back on the scene where he enters in, have it, make it a house of his presence. Make it a house of purity. Get rid of the 
things that offends God. Oh, we're so worried about offending people that we've quit preaching, we've quit standing upon thus saith the word of God. I'm not talking about being mean in the pulpit and being, you know, act like you're a gunslinger. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just siding up with the Bible, just lining up with the Bible. This is supposed to be a holy place. That is for a holy purpose. This place is a sanctified place. And we're supposed to be sanctified people. Preacher, I want to ask you something. If the honky-tonk, and I'm sure there's some around here, if the honky-tonk wanted to borrow your piano right here, oh, they said, we'll bring it back, we'll make sure it's, it's nice and clean and in tune, everything's fine, but, but ours tore up, and we, we want to borrow your piano at the church and bring it over to the honky-tonk jip joint, and, and, we, and we're just going to use it one night. We're going to have a big, uh, a big throw down, a big dance, a big shindig. And no, we're not going to be singing Amazing Grace and How Firm a Foundation. We're going to be singing Conway and, and Dolly songs and all that bunch of rot. I called it rot. I wasn't stuttering when I said that. Amen. I'm going to run a rabbit right here. It won't take me long to kill it. Parents, if you let your children listen to, uh, what's that, Smith, Swift, whatever her name is, what is her name? Taylor Swift, who openly and publicly said she's a witch. Come on now. If you buy that garbage for your children, you're creating a monster that'll never be interested in God. Oh, it's innocent. No, it's not innocent. I had some to send me a YouTube link to where it showed some of her show. I'm talking about demonic to the core. And there's parents in churches buy that garbage and take their children to her concerts. You better believe it. I'm going to preach against that stuff as long as I've got air in my lungs. Amen. Parents ought to have more sense than that. Well, amen. Do we want a verse 14 where people's lives are being changed? You know what I thought today, brother, riding down the road? I wonder how many lame people and blind people and other people that had problems, they, they were not benefited by the power that was in the temple they died that way. There was no hope for them. There was no help for them. Why? Because the condition the temple was in, the condition the house of God was in. But when Jesus came in and he cleansed it and he turned it into a house of prayer and then it became a house of power, guess what happens now? The blind and the lame came to him in the temple. They didn't come to the temple. They come to him in the temple. Well, that's good right there. And the Bible said he healed them. They come one way, but they left different. 
Do we really want people to get help? Do we really want their lives changed? I'll tell you, if we do, then we want to guard this place and make sure it's a house of purity, make sure it's a place, a, a house of his presence and a house of prayer and a house of power. Oh boy, it's good. And then last, you said, preacher, I can't believe it's last. It's last. Make sure it's a house of praise. Look at verse 15. This is falling right on the hill of verse 14. After those that were, that were the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Hey, you know what I just noticed? How does somebody that's lame get in the temple? How does somebody that's blind even get in the temple? Oh, I see something right there now. You say, oh, Lord, honey, he's seeing something else. Just might as well hold on. Somebody had to bring them. You say, why weren't they bringing them before? I'll tell you why they weren't bringing them before. They had no confidence. The, the place was so corrupt. Amen, amen. It was corrupt. There was no power. No lives were ever changed. It was all about the money. But all of a sudden now Jesus has got it right. It's on track. It's clean. It's a praying church. It's got his presence. Amen. It's a prayer house. Amen. Now God's people are saying, hey, let's go get them. Let's go get them. Let's drive those buses. Let's go get them. Because when we bring them to church, Jesus is going to be there. Amen. We're going to be praying. It's going to be clean. And God's going to work. Oh, that's good. I'm telling you. Amen. I didn't know one thing about this church when I walked in the other night. And all I know about this church is what I've discerned being in this pulpit. But I know that God has been giving me messages. I'm talking about I can't even hardly preach them because other things is just flooding my soul. You know what that's telling me, Curry Town Baptist Church? It tells me that you are on God's mind. He's wanting to help you go to another level. He's wanting this church to make a difference. Amen. Don't drop the ball now. Don't drop the ball now. It's to be a house of praise. Verse 15, look at it. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, he did. And look at this. And the children, and the children crying in the temple. What are they saying? Hosanna! <laughs> oh, to the son of David. Oh, no, that religious crowd that was looking on and seeing that was sore displeased. Y'all just go out and give me a minute. It still upsets that religious crowd when they see children and young people getting fired up about the things of God, falling in love with Jesus Christ, amen, turning their back against the world and the world's ways and going with God. Let me ask you something. Where does a child learn a word, Hosanna? These were children. These were young children. 
And they were saying, what? Hosanna. Oh, I think I can show you where they learned that. Look back in verse nine. And the multitudes that went before and they that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You know where they learned it? They learned it from mama and daddy and grandma and grandpa and the the adults. Adults, you be what you want the children to become. Amen, that's right. First time maybe one of them heard mama say, oh, whoo, Hosanna to the son of David. I could see little Junior or maybe Sissy say, mama, what, what did you say? What is, what? And they might have they tried to guess at it and said, who had a banana or something? I don't know. <laughs> and mama said, no, 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 no. It's not who's got a banana. It's who? Hosanna. Hosanna. Okay. And the child would try to, you know, learn. Hosanna. Hosanna. Okay. So what does it mean? Hosanna. So, so the child finally learns that Hosanna, how to pronounce it, and, and discovers that Hosanna means, oh, save. God saves. So <laughs> that's a good thing to say to the Savior. But here's a bad thing I'm going to show you. As long as Jesus was riding into town, boy, this got big to me coming down the road even today. As long as Jesus was coming into town fulfilling scripture, riding on the colt of an ass, and they see him go into the temple, oh, it's Hosanna, buddy, they're, they're laying palm leaves down. You know, I mean, they're throwing clothes down, and oh, man, it's a big deal until he goes into the temple and starts cleaning house. When he goes into the temple and is cleaning house, the adults are not saying Hosanna no more, but the children are. In fact, this is the same crowd that same week. One day they're saying Hosanna out of their mouth and in just a day or two, they're saying, crucify him. Away with him. What made the difference? They wanted a savior. They wanted a savior that fulfills scripture, but leave, don't mess with the conditions of our church. Don't mess with the traditions of our church. When he went in there and started changing things to get it out, lining up with the book, then that's when they fell off the wagon. And you know what? There's a whole lot of the great, 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 I heard Brother Joe say that to me. A lot of the great, 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 great grandchildren of that bunch is still alive today. They don't mind going to church and they, amen. They don't even mind you preaching Jesus. But brother, when you start dealing with, amen, allowing Jesus and preaching Jesus that he's a, he's a savior, not only saving you from your sin, but he's a savior that brings about sanctification in the life of the believer. 
That's, a, that's something that is almost not even preached anymore. But salvation that does not produce sanctification will not result in glorification. Amen. House of praise. Can you see the children praising the Lord? I believe this with all my heart. And I, I, I'm not a, a know-it-all about revival. I've read some and I've seen, I've seen some. I, was got, I got saved in, in a move of God. And still it's affected my life. But I know this. I've never seen a revival nor ever read about a true revival, true move of God that bypassed the young people. Amen. We've got young people in our church, and you've heard me tell it. They, they help me carry the spiritual load of the church. I mean, they're prayer warriors. Several of them are prayer warriors. I've got some adults that way as well. Amen. And, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. Mama June, we call her Mama June. She, man, prays good night. And her children are prayer warriors too. There's just something about children watching mom and daddy worship That's right. yes, sir. that does something in their life. When they see mama testify or they see daddy get happy in church and, or they see mom and daddy make a trip to the altar in response to the preached word, that, that shows them, hey, that's what you're supposed to do too. As a child, that altar, that altar is a good place for children. That's a good place for young people. To do business with the Lord. And son even will get mom and dad and the children and gather in the altar and they'll, they'll just pray together as a family. But I wonder what damage it done to those children when they heard mom and daddy saying, Crucify him! When just a day or two earlier they were saying, Hosanna. Better watch the double standard. Better watch changing in the wrong direction because your children will be the ones that pays the price. What are you making your church? Make sure it's scriptural. Let's pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name. Pray you'll have your way in the invitation this morning.